Hello and welcome back to the Arts and the Science Guide podcast. In today's episode, we're talking about the respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, also known as human respiratory syncytial virus, or HRSV, and human orthopneumovirus. It is a common contagious virus that causes infections of the respiratory tract. For the nerds among you, it's a negative sense single-stranded RNA virus. You're probably wondering where does the name come from? Its name is derived from the large cells known as syncytia. These cells form when infected cells fuse. The RSV, or the respiratory syncytial virus, is the single most common cause of respiratory hospitalizations in infants. And reinfection remains common later in life. It is an important pathogen in all age groups. Infection rates are typically higher during cold winter months, like right now, causing bronchiolitis in infants, common colds in adults, and more serious respiratory illnesses such as pneumonia in elderly and immunocompromised. The RSV spread through contaminated air droplets and can cause outbreaks both in community and in hospital settings. Following the initial infection via the eyes or nose, the virus will infect the epithelial cells of the upper and lower airway, causing inflammation and cell damage, as well as airway obstruction. Can we detect it? See, a variety of methods are available for viral detection and diagnosis of RSV, including antigen testing, molecular testing, and viral culture. The main prevention measures include hand washing and avoiding close contact with infected individuals. Prophylactic use of uh, palivizumab is also available to prevent RSV infection in high-risk infants. Currently, there is no vaccine against RSV, although many are under development. So what are the signs and symptoms? RSV infection can present with a wide variety of signs and symptoms that range from mild upper respiratory tract infections to severe, potentially life-threatening lower respiratory tract infections requiring hospitalization and mechanical ventilation. While RSV can cause respiratory tract infection in people of all ages and among most common childhood infections, its presentation often varies between age groups and immune status. Reinfection is common through life, but infants and elderly remain at the highest risk of symptomatic infection. In very young infants under 6 weeks of age, and particularly in uh, premature infants, signs of infection may be less specific. They may have minimal respiratory involvement. Instead, they may exhibit decreased activity, irritability, poor feeding, or breathing with difficulties. This could also be accompanied by apneic spells or brief pauses in breathing. As I've said in adults, reinfection of RSV remains common throughout life. Reinfection in adulthood often produces only mild to moderate symptoms indistinguishable from common cold or sinus infection. The infection may also be asymptomatic, which means no symptoms. If present, symptoms are generally isolated to upper respiratory tract, runny nose, sore throat, fever, and malice, or malaise. In the vast majority of cases, nasal congestion precedes the development of cough. In contrast to other upper respiratory infections, RSV is also more likely to cause new onset wheeze in adults. Only about 25% of infected adults will progress to significant lower respiratory tract infection, such as bronchitis or tracheobronchitis. While RSV rarely causes severe disease in healthy adults, it can cause significant morbidity and mortality in elderly and in those with underlying immune compromise or cardiopulmonary disease. Older adults may have similar presentation to younger adults, but tend to have greater symptoms, severity with increased risk of lower respiratory tract involvement. In particular, the elderly are more likely to experience pneumonia, respiratory distress, and death.
For example, in children,、uh, short-term hospitalized children are at risk of developing acute otitis media, lung hyperventilation, respiratory failure, apnea, bacterial pneumonia. The adults could have pneumonia, respiratory distress, acute exacerbation of underlying chronic illnesses such as COPD or asthma. And for those who are immunocompromised, some immunocompromised groups are at higher risk of specific complications such as bone marrow transplant recipients, for example, get pneumonia or death, or lung transplant recipients, chronic graft dysfunction or acute pneumonitis, or obliterative bronchitis. Let's talk about the mechanism of transmission. The RSV is highly contagious and can cause outbreaks from both community and hospital transmission. For each person infected with RSV, it is estimated that an average of five to twenty-five uninfected people will become infected. RSV can spread when an infected person coughs or sneezes, releasing contaminated droplets into the air. Transmission usually occurs when those droplets come into contact with another person's eyes, nose, or mouth. RSV can also live up to 25 minutes on contaminated skin and several hours on other surfaces like countertops and doorknobs. It has an incubation period of two to eight days. Once infected, those people are basically usually contagious for three to eight days. In infants and people with weakened immune system, however, the virus may continue to spread for over four weeks, even after they have no symptoms at all. Following transmission through nose or eyes, RSV infects. The ciliated columnar epithelial cells of the upper and lower airway. RSV continues to replicate within these bronchial cells for about eight days. After the first several days, RSV-infected cells will become more rounded and ultimately slide into the smaller bronchioles of the lower airway. This sloughing mechanism is also thought to be responsible for the spread of the virus from the upper to lower respiratory tract. The infection causes generalized inflammation within the lungs, including the migration and infiltration of inflammatory cells such as the monocytes and the T cells, necrosis of the epithelial cell walls, edema, and increased mucus production. Inflammation and cell damage tends to be patchy rather than diffuse. However, the sloughed epithelial cells, mucus plugs, and accumulated immune cells cause obstruction of the lower airway. Let's talk about general prevention measures. The main prevention measure is to avoid close contact with infected individuals. In community and daycare settings, careful hand washing can help reduce transmission. In hospital setting, strict adherence to infection control measures can help prevent the spread of the RSV to high-risk individuals. Alcohol-based disinfectants are recommended for hand decontamination. Immunoprophylaxis. Although there is currently no vaccine against RSV, passive immunization is available to prevent RSV infection and hospitalization in high-risk infants. Historically, RSV-specific intravenous immunoglobulin was used to basically provide passive immunity. This involved monthly administration of RSV-neutralizing antibodies or immunoglobulins from human donors recovering from the disease. While this transfer of antibodies was reasonably effective in providing short-term immunization to at-risk infants, it was limited by both its intravenous administration and cost. The RSV IVG that I was talking about before has since been replaced with the use of monoclonal antibodies. These can be derived through muscular injection. Finally, let's talk about supportive care. Treatment for RSV infection is focused primarily on supportive care. This may include monitoring a patient's breathing or using suction to remove secretions from the upper airway. Supplemental oxygen may also be delivered through a nasal cannula to face mask in order to improve airflow. There are many other supportive measures that we can take, which I'm not going to really talk about, but I'm going to mention some of them: viral-specific therapies, anti-inflammatories, bronchodilators, which I've talked about prior, antibiotics, and several others. Just know that infants and children and elderly people are at the highest risk. It is rare for healthy young adults to develop severe illnesses requiring hospitalization from RSV. 
However, it is now recognized as a significant cause of morbidity and mortality in certain adult populations, including the elderly and those with underlying heart or lung diseases. Its clinical impact among elderly adults is estimated to be similar to that of influenza. Also something really interesting to note that public health measures taken in response to the COVID-19 pandemic resulted in a significant decline in the prevalence of RSV. However, there was a significant unseasonal rebound when lockdowns and other restrictive measures were relaxed. If you know someone who can benefit from this information, please go ahead and share this podcast with them and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to for more health and science. It is also highly appreciated that you leave me feedback on whatever platform you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify.